0: For today's show, it's F1 Through the Lens on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazzle. As always, this is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all those stories and challenges that happen in between. If you wanna see the show notes for today's show or any links that we talk about, you can head to the website, behindtheshot.tv. You just find this episode. You'll find a little blurb that I wrote about my guest today or again, with any show. You'll find all the links that we talk about and a small gallery of their work as well. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, down below the like and subscribe buttons and on your way down, please hit those and click the bell and choose all. But down in the description area, you'll find all the links that we talk about. I can't put the entire blog post down there, but most of the stuff is down there. And And one other thing is, Uh, If you are watching on YouTube, I I find a lot of YouTube viewers just want to get to the photo dissection. That's cool. I've got chapter markers down there, right? If you don't want to listen to the interview portion, jump on down, jump around wherever you need chapter markers down below. But I always start my show with a small kind of introduction and getting to know the guest. And the reason for that is I want you to understand why you should listen to the guest that we're talking about. And before I bring the guest on, I got to say thank you to somebody. Because I would not have found today's guest and their work, which I am a huge fan of now, without Dave Coleman. Dave Coleman suggested, and Dave, if I'm mispronouncing your name, I apologize, but Dave suggested this guest to me, I think on Twitter, and then I asked him to email it to me, and he did. And what's interesting is Dave is a motorsports reporter and photographer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Great photographer in his own right. And to suggest today's guest, really 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 appreciate it. So I'd like to welcome to the show North Carolina based motorsport and automotive photographer Jamie Price. Jamie, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Steve? I'm doing really really good. I'm so glad Dave recommended you to me because I was not familiar with your work sadly enough. And I got to say I told you this kind of in the green room. I've had a lot of great photographers on this show. Your work is some of the f- my my favorite work I have ever seen?
1: Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I love my job. And the only thing that I can hope is that it comes across in the images that I take and the work that I do and the the access that I have, because you know, it's not all about access, but you know, like any great uh, musician would tell you, or musician photography, um, it's, it's kind of about the access. So
0: yeah, I, I have people who say, you know, oh, I love having access, but I like being in the photo pit. Okay, I love being in the photo pit too, but given access, trust me, I'm going to definitely use it. You know, it's interesting because getting to know you and researching you and looking through your work, when I when I bring you up, it kind of immediately implies to people motorsports photography, but I don't want to start there. I want to start before that because this one blew my mind. You know where I'm going, I have the feeling. <laughs> you, you were, you were a thoroughbred steeplechase racehorse jockey yeah. and exercise rider in the U.S., England, and Ireland. You had eleven wins. How the hell does one go from that to motorsports photography?
1: Well, there's a lot more sim- similarities between horse racing and car racing than you would assume. Um, but I grew up around horses. Both of my parents are from Baltimore, Maryland, which is just steeped in horse tradition. And I I just got thrown in the deep end from a really young age and I fell in love with it. Long before I discovered photography, long before I discovered that I was okay with a camera, um, you know, I was on, on horses. And when I was in high school, I kind of, I was a swimmer and I was a cross country runner and a track runner. Um, So I was pretty slight of build, like we're not, you're not football players, but I just had this like passion for horses. And my dad especially had a a really intense passion for racehorses and the horse racing community. And um, I kind of picked it up somewhat slowly, but very quickly got addicted to it and just the adrenaline rush. Um, Winston Churchill once famously said the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. And it's true. Like it's just such a, there's such amazing animals. They're very intelligent. And it was one of the most formative parts of my life, but it's also been a very formative part of my photography career. Because when I picked up my photography and got my first camera, one of the things that I was doing was I was going to events that I was I was competing in so races that i was competing in i would just bring my camera and i had the access no security guard in their right mind is going to turn down a jockey wearing boots and a flak vest and basically have my helmet like under my arm they're not going to turn you away from like going in the stable area because i'm a jockey like i'm meant to be in the stable area um so i kind of used the access that i had as a jockey to build a portfolio create images, tell stories. Um, and I took my camera to England and Ireland when I lived in England and Ireland. And I, I loved the entire experience and it was very formative for not just my personal growth, but definitely my photography growth.
0: It's interesting because you said you were a swimmer. So I have to ask because in high school I did water polo and swimming. I was a horrible swimmer, but I was, I loved being a goalie in water polo. What did you swim? Oh, man, I was, unfortunately, I was not great
1: at anything, but I was okay at everything. Um, and so my coach, so I was a collegiate swimmer as well, which was when I picked up photography. Um, so I did four years of college swimming, and I swam everything from the 50. Um, we swim in yards in the U.S. For those of you that are in the U.S., we don't swim meters. So I swam 50, 50 yards sprint all the way up to the mile in wow. uh, in competition events like it wasn't just practice stuff I entirely was every-
0: free or did you you know freestyle yeah or I was, ter- I was terrible or- at
1: everything I was terrible at everything else my my coach tried to make me into a, a breaststroker at one point and I just don't have the lower leg power to to make that work so we all quickly gave up on that dream and just kept me kind of as a I I, I was the meat and potatoes guy on the on the team I wasn't going to beat anybody but I was definitely going to be coming you know second, third, fourth kind of thing.
0: I remember having to do a, a 200 IM once. And worst worst event in the whole world. Oh my god, man. First of all, I'm doing the breaststroke thinking there's no water shooting out of my chin like the good guys and then I'm doing a butterfly thinking this is the worst butterfly anybody in the, around this pool has ever seen. <laughs> you you have you have been published pretty much everywhere I could think of. New York Times, ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Car and Driver, Cycle World, Road and Track, Auto Week, etc. You know, F1 racing, Motor Trend. And your photographs have been used by literally the top brands, racing teams, whatever. But I want to be clear, you photograph more than just auto sports. You've done NFL. You've done U.S. Women's National Soccer, Kentucky Derby. That kind of fits right up your alley. You have done a lot of motorsports, NHRA, Pikes Peak, uh, Indy, NASCAR, Le Mans, you know etc my understanding is it's over 35 something around their formula 1 races but this one this one stuck out to me you were named motorsports photographer of the year in 2019 by the national motorsports press association now there are some amazing people in your genre of photography doing what you do what's it like to to get that kind of recognition um I've never
1: been a huge, like, I don't, I've never felt like I needed the the awards to say, like, I've made it, I've accomplished something. Um, photo competitions, I find really, really challenging to to pick which images you want, because images that I love, you know, it just might not have the power and punch that somebody else is looking for. It might not stick out. It could be my favorite picture in the whole world that I've ever taken. And you put it in a, in a competition, they're like, eh, it's <laughs> yeah, okay. And you're like, what? I, this is my favorite picture ever. And you just, you don't know the, the story behind what it took to create it or whatever, all those things. Um, but when, when I was given that award, it definitely, it definitely meant something, um, to be named, you know, the motorsport photographer of the year. Uh, this year I haven't even received it, but I won picture of the year for the same, um, the National Motorsports press Association, so it's it's definitely a huge honor to have those awards to my name to be able to say I've done it uh and yeah, it's just something to have in my office one day or hand down to the kids. Maybe they can put it in the attic and forget about it that it ever existed, but it means something to me for sure.
0: you know it's funny on the on the competition type thing i have I've done image competitions. In inevitably what ends up happening is the judges rip me up and then my friends look at me and go, I told you that was the wrong image <laughs> every single freaking time. I
1: I had my wife and like four of my, four of my very good friends who are all very accomplished motorsport photographers and have had awards to their names as well. Um, they all helped me pick the images that I did for this year. And it was, it's such a hard process. It's I, hate, I hated it. It makes me not want to do it. And then you, you get to the end and you see your selection from, because it's each year, like the National Motorsport is, it has to be taken within the calendar year um, of that year. So I can't just go digging back through the archives and find the, the pictures that make my career look good. It has to have been done this year. And, and I feel like 2019 actually was kind of like a high water year for me. Like I might've peaked in 2019. It's kind of all been downhill since then.
0: We all, we all get there. You know, it's, it, it's funny because for those of you that have never done an image competition, a friend of mine, Troy Miller said to me once a great image, does not necessarily translate to a great image competition image. It's two completely different worlds. You can take a picture of a bride and groom that they think is the most amazing picture they've ever had. And there ain't no way in hell it's going to win an award anywhere. No, I want to I want to get into some general questions before we bring up this shot. We're going to talk about. And again, this shot, I think may be one of my favorite compositions that I've literally ever seen. So I'm excited to dissect it. But first of all, you you photographed a lot. What haven't you photographed that you wish you could?
1: Uh, I would love to shoot the Masters or any pro golf tournament. Um, I, I'm very like I'm very well like aware, I guess, of what other photographers are doing in the industry and especially sports photographers. Uh, and I see the pictures that they make at some of these golf tournaments and especially the masters when you have azaleas and beautiful grass and just the the atmosphere of it. And it's such a special event. And I'm not even a golf guy. Like I just, I don't even care about golf.
0: No, but the leading but lines of the trees just, and yeah, the... everything,
1: everything just, it just screams, take my picture. And so I would love, I would love to be able to do that once in my career. Um, to be honest, there isn't a lot that I haven't done that I would love to do. kind of i've kind of dabbled in everything um and it's more for me it's more about like what haven't i done in the racing world like there's a couple of racing events that i haven't done that i would love to do that i've i'm just you know i know i'll do it one day and hopefully they won't have canceled the events because they're too dangerous or you know just stop running them because of financial reasons or whatever it is um but i've always been very passionate about motorsport and auto racing and those events that I specifically would love to cover, like the Isle of Man, the Bathurst 1000, you know, big ones. I've done a lot, and I'm very thankful to
0: have done a lot. What, what is, thinking about some of the ones you just named, actually, but just in general, motorsport photography. What's the biggest challenge in that type of photography to you? I actually, I shouldn't think- even say to you. I shouldn't say to you because you've been doing it so long. It's probably going to be different than most people from a generic point of view. What's what's the biggest challenge? So I
1: think the thing that you really that people struggle with when they aren't used to doing motorsport photography, when they when they're first you know show up to a racetrack and it's all uncontrollable, everything like you have no control over the drivers, you have no control over the cars, you have no control of the weather, you have no control over where you can and can't go, even on the racetrack like i can choose what corner i go to but i might not be allowed to stand in certain parts of that corner because it's too dangerous um i think the lack of control intimidates a lot of people like some of the best automotive photographers in the world struggle with car racing because they can't control everything about it they can't control the light they can't put a strobe here and you know use a little fill flash there and You know, make this person turn a little bit more this way so that they get more of their facial profile or whatever it is. And I think that's the thing that I love about my particular genres because that's what I excel at. Like that's where I was trained is in the newspaper world. I was trained as a newspaper newspaper photographer. So. You have no control. You can't control. You're not allowed to control your subjects. Like I don't unless you're doing a portrait of somebody in their home for a, a story on that person. And even then, it should be more like very candid, like you're a fly on the wall, right. but not somebody that's there dictating the situation. Um,
0: it's it's the photojournalism rule, totally. and that is and, you're photographing what happens in front of you. And as soon as you become part of that story in any way, even if it's, can we put a candle here? As soon as you become part of the story, it's no longer photojournalism technically. Yeah, exactly.
1: So I've always I've always grown up learning photography in that sense where like I'm a photojournalist. I call myself a motorsport photojournalist. I don't even call myself a motorsport photographer. I'm just documenting oh. I'm documenting a race or or a weekend or team whatever it is. I'm documenting them without changing the situation. There are times when I do have to set up portraits and set up things and set up like a situation but 99% of my job is like it happens to be walking in front of me or you know driving past me i have to choose where i'm going to go and everything in the picture has to be chosen by my brain by my composition by the sh- the settings i'm using whatever it is i can't control it because i i'm i can't control it like there's nothing to control
0: it's funny cuz as you were describing that i mean you know what i photograph and it felt It felt literally like me describing music photography to somebody. I have no control. I can't look at the singer and say, dude, look over here. Or the singer runs up, screams in my face and is gone. I can't say, could you hang out for a little bit? Uh, I have no control over the lighting most of the time. I have little control over where I stand. And those are the same types of things that make me love my genre of photography. And I I would have not before this conversation – seen much relationship between the two. There's something in your work though, I got to say. Your body of work, I always look for a common thread in my guests. I look through their portfolio and try and find a common thread. Now, sometimes the photographer knows that they have that common thread. And sometimes it's completely subconscious, like they have no clue. And the common thread that I see in your work is motion. And I don't mean motion as in what you shoot, as in a moving car. I mean, motion in how you shoot, panning, dragging shutters. It is a motion that I actually feel when I look at your pictures. I get motion sickness, <laughs> and it is entirely possible that somebody like me that suffers from motion sickness, if they're on a roller coaster, could look at some of your shots and get that sensation of motion sickness. So I'm, I'm curious how or more to the point even are you envisioning that motion that you get before you shoot
1: in some ways but because i mean i've been doing this for so long and i don't even i wish that i could have a tally of how many hours i've actually spent trackside just each year like year to year um because i spend so much time trackside you know what you should be doing with the camera when a car is at a certain position to you, and you know it's kind of the bread and butter of a motorsport photographer is you have to be able to show that the cars are moving on track, like when people send me their pictures, you know on Instagram or via email or whatever. the common thread there is that the people that have less experience, they just take a picture and whatever their camera told them to set the exposure to like you know specifically the shutter speed because that's what we all just kind of lean on it's not necessarily the aperture they'll send me a picture and the car is parked on the racetrack and you're like okay right. but I know that this car is doing 190 miles an hour why does it look like you parked it on the racetrack and there are times when you have to park it on the racetrack but that time isn't this particular shot like you have to know when to do what you need to do um and the rule that I always use is if you can see the tire manufacturer on the side of the tire, so if it's a Michelin or Pirelli or Goodyear, or whatever it is, if you can see that, you have to be showing that the car is in motion with a slower shutter speed. So whatever it is, you know, even if it's a two hundredth of a second or a four hundredth of a second, like you'll start seeing, you'll start seeing that tire rotate um, and some blur in the actual logo around one eight hundredth. And then every every stop you go down, it just starts getting blurrier in the background. And that's where it becomes more challenging to actually get a a sharp pan shot, because there is a point where you're you know, the car is physically traveling a fairly large distance while the mirror because I'm still on a mirrorless or a mirrored camera, not a mirrorless camera. So while the mirror is open and it's creating the image. The car is traveling, like you can do the math on it. And I'm not a math guy, but you can do the math on it and figure out, like, okay, this car was doing 190 miles around and 190 miles an hour here. And this was a tenth of a second. I know how far this car traveled, and it's like 37 feet or something like that. Right. And it's a ridiculous um, amount of distance. Like 37 feet is a long way. So there's a lot of things happening in that 37 feet. And, um, You you get used to it like it just becomes second nature where I'll go to a corner and I won't even use, you know, a shutter speed that doesn't make sense to me. But some people I've always really appreciated when somebody that doesn't do motorsport photography, when they come do what I do, for whatever reason, they've been given an assignment from a magazine or a driver or a team or whatever you get people that are normally wedding photographers or music photographers or horse racing photographers. And they come do motorsports, and you get a completely different like eye and perspective on on motion and speed and car racing and you know setting up an image and those types of things. Um, so just my my brain, because it's done it so many times, I know when I go and I see a car going past me this way, I know where my shutter speed's going to kind of end up, and it's it's challenging to kind of get yourself out of that hole actually and do something
0: different. So, but you obviously then are aware of what I'm talking about with the motion that I, that I see in your work. And you said the one thing when I've done image critiques before, and I tell people why is the car parked on the track, right? I mean, there has to be same with an airplane, by the way, if you're photographing an air show and somebody's flying an old P 51 Mustang, that's a prop and the prop is frozen it's a glider, right? I mean, yeah. you,
1: you've, you've got <laughs> you to try. A, you haven't photographed a propeller plane. You've photographed a glider.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: And, Jet, and jets
0: are much better, much
1: easier to shoot now.
0: <laughs> they, they hide that flaw. Yeah. it's it, And it goes back to that photojournalism thing, right? You want to tell a story. You're not just taking a picture of an object. You're telling a story of some of some sort. Whatever you choose that story to be, but in this particular case, you know, motion may be a part of it. The other thing that you have in your work, there's a shot that's in my head, actually. You have this insane sense of space, right? You have one shot in your portfolio online where it's it's a set of stands, and in another one, actually, it's buildings, like it's a F1, you know, in a city, but you have a, a one where it's, I think it stands and people in the background. It could be buildings, I suppose. Completely blurred. The whole frame almost is that blurred background, and then at the bottom is a tack sharp car. Your your sense of relationship of space. How do the when you're looking through the camera? How do those ideas click with you?
1: Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I was given when I was working at the newspaper actually was from the, the art director, um, Bert Fox and Bert's, Bert's comment to me was sometimes you just have to put your camera down and just look like, look for a second because we get so focused through the viewfinder that you forget to look outside of that. Even if you're using a wide angle lens, um, and I've always felt like motorsport photography and car photography is more similar to landscape photography in that you have, you have a, a subject, but it doesn't have to be the car that's the subject. Like it can be the whole scene. Like it can be the city. It can be the grandstand. It can be whatever. Um, but being able to show that space, even if you take the car out of it, if it's it's still an interesting picture or interesting enough, then you can drop that car into that like lower third. And it's even more interesting. So it's very similar to landscape photography in that way, where if you go out to the mountains and you take a pretty picture of a mountain, okay, great. It's a pretty picture of a mountain. But if you add a sunset, it's even better uh, or nice clouds or whatever it is. So with car racing, you kind of have to not just focus on, you know, looking down my 500 millimeter lens where it's just, you know, super, super tight on a car, bouncing over a curb, coming straight at me. You know, I, I'll pull out my 14 to 24 millimeter, super wide, you know, fisheye lens, and you'll see something completely different. You can stand in the same corner, not move, not move an inch. And you get 10 different pictures because you can use different shutter speeds, different lenses. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to be able to find those little hidden nuggets.
0: That That right there is a photography lesson. Stand in the same corner, And take 10 different pictures, and you can get 10 different pictures. Sometimes I say to people as an exercise, if you're really stuck in a rut, go to a parking lot with one lens and make 10 good pictures. An empty parking lot. Try and make 10 pictures in a parking lot. It can be done. Not saying it's going to be easy. I want to bring up this shot before we do uh, a couple of things. First of all, I'm coughing a lot today. Uh, I've got bronchitis so or something along those lines. So uh, I apologize if you see me mute myself, but I'm coughing. I apologize to everybody out there. This show is available in a couple of different ways. I want to let you know, you can get this show wherever you get your podcasts, your podcast app of choice in either audio or video format, audio only or video. If your app of choice like Apple Podcasts, supports video, if it doesn't Grab the the audio version, and you can go to the blog post. It's behindtheshot.tv to see the pictures that we're talking about. But if you get the video version, you can do that as a podcast, or of course, you can do it on YouTube. If you do it on YouTube, down below the like and subscribe button, I've got all the links there instead of in the blog post over at the website. Not the whole blog post, but go check that out definitely as well. Show notes for everything available in both locations, pretty much. Again, a little bit less on YouTube. So. Let's jump into this shot today. And again, before I bring it up, I want to kind of set this up a little bit because according to, and I'm going off metadata that that was in the image that you sent me, I'm going to butcher half of these names. Is it Marusa Formula One? Yeah, Marusha. Um, Marusha, okay. Marusha, yeah. So according to the description in the image, Marusha Formula One team practicing a pit stop with a new rookie driver, Max Chilton. At Circuit Day Catalunya, yep. uh, during a preseason February testing in 2013. And I am sorry, this right here is one of the most amazing compositions I have ever freaking seen in photography. I've got so, so many questions for you. First of all, uh, this was 2013, so this was early in your career. Very
1: early, yes. Like I said, I I might have peaked. I might have peaked early.
0: <laughs> no, I think you're j- this good easily now. And this again, this, this is to me the perfect defining shot. For those of you on the audio feed, Jamie, I'm going to take a second and I'm going to describe this to those that are listening in audio only. I will butcher this. There is no question. So at the end, tell me what I missed and where I'm wrong. But this is a standard you know two three ratio landscape orientation shot. We've all we've all seen pit stops before. We understand what happens during a pit stop. This is not the angle that we normally see. This is straight above the car from the top down. And it reinforces what I said about Jamie's work earlier with motion. So I want you to picture. Picture a three lane pit row, right? and a car is coming in and you are dead center over it looking exactly straight down okay between you and the action there are two poles going out across these three lanes they are almost exactly at the rule of thirds and they're holding I'm guessing it they're holding you know airlines for power tools that so that you can get the airlines past the car so that you can do the you know change the tires and stuff on the on the inside. Track side of of the pit. There's a third pole that's entering at exactly forty five degrees from the lower third, right third, to the middle of the frame. And oh my god, it is perfectly positioned on one white area. The car is an orangey red type car. I'm colorblind. I'm, it's orange. I'm guessing. It's a, and, it's
1: more like a uh, not a Ferrari red, but a little bit a little bit punchier than that.
0: Okay. The nose of this F1 car is white, and that pole coming in at 45, it could have gone past the car, it could have been over a tire, it could have been over anything. The car position happens to be so perfect that that thing is almost dead center in the white area. Again, three lanes, those three lanes are almost exactly at the lower and top thirds. They're designated by white dashed lines, like a parking spot is. The top third is asphalt. The bottom two thirds are concrete, okay? There are pit crew and tools and jacks and everything in the top third where the concrete is. And that, I'm sorry, where the asphalt is. And that asphalt area is lit up by the sun. Below that, the bottom two lanes are in shade. So again, even the, the hard line of the sun is almost at that rule of third. I mean, as much as you could expect, right <laughs> at the bottom, the bottom third, again, lots of people in the bottom lane, uh, pit crew working and at the far right of the center lane. And by the way, there's jacks and everything and, and, and power tools everywhere. Right. But In front of the car, where the car is pulling into, there's a guy with a jack with a yellow line where he's supposed to position it. And and here's the thing. All the crew wearing orange shirts, black pants, black and orange helmets, it's obvious. They're tack sharp, most of them. Couple of them, there's a little bit of motion. Most of them, it's though they're frozen in time. And the reason that matters is in the middle lane, entering from frame left, pure motion blur is this F1 car, okay? And here's where it gets amazing. It's exactly at the left edge of the frame. It comes to about middle frame, just past that 45 degree bar that's sticking in. And right in front of it is an arrow pointing to the right, helping to reinforce that blur and that motion. And it's heading towards the guy with the jack on the right. In this picture, you feel like there is no way that car is not going to hit him and that it's going to stop. And in the top lane, the guy in the far right, he has an orange sign that says break. There is so much happening in here from the motion left to right, to the arrow, to the top and bottom crew and crew on the right hand side. Did I miss anything? No,
1: I think you covered it more than anybody else ever has.
0: (laughs) My God, man, this thing is Really honestly, not saying this because you're here. This shot is brilliant. Thank you. EXIF data shows some things that have me so confused. This is a Nikon 3S, D3S, with a 28 to 72.8 at 28 millimeters. Okay, that all makes sense. 28 says to me this is probably farther away than I think it is. Manual mode. Auto white balance. Interesting. Spot metering. The shutter is one fifteenth of a second. Aperture is at F22. And ISO at 100 with an exposure bias of minus two-third stop. So I want to get into that EXIF data a little bit. But first of all, explain to me the setup of this shot. The overhead rig. What did you do? So at
1: this track, um, there is a basically where the pit garages are on the very bottom uh, which is where the the team would basically operate the car out of so you're in this big building and during preseason testing and they don't even host testing here in this location anymore which is a real shame Um, but during testing we could go up on the roof and basically this during a race weekend this would be where all the you know rich people are drinking champagne and having caviar and watching the the race um, go past you because you're basically if you if you tilted the camera up you would just see the grandstand you'd see the main uh, front start finish area um, you'd see the pit lane and so you're probably three stories maybe maybe a little bit more above the above the car um, but right at the very bottom of the frame which I've I don't think I cropped it out I think I actually just physically held my camera out far enough but there's a net where you would basically ha- have, like, you know, it would stop a champagne glass falling on the pit crew. Like, if some lady turned around and knocked it with her purse, it wouldn't send the champagne glass spinning off into the stratosphere and then end up in some pit crew, uh, pit crew box. So I'm basically standing there holding the camera as far out in front of me as I possibly can. Um, so it's, it's kind of like, one of those shots that you can't do necessarily during a race weekend. I mean, it's not that it can't be done, but it's much more challenging because you're fighting with VIPs that have paid, you know, an exorbitant amount of money to be there and you kind of feel bad like getting in the way. Um, So yeah, it's just kind of being spatially aware. It's one of those, like I was talking about earlier, you don't, you don't have control. Like I can't tell these guys, oh, I missed it. Can you guys do it again? Sorry, my bad. They're they're just doing maybe three or four different pit stop practices during the course of an hour. The, the driver will go out and do 10 laps, and then they'll do another stop and then do another 10 or 15 laps, and they'll change something. Um, but this particular crew is basically doing a practice on a full race pit stop. A full race pit stop, they would be in, in fire suits. They're not in fire suits, but you can't really tell here. Um, they're just wearing their T-shirts and normal normal stuff that they'd wear in the garage but yeah it it basically gives you the impression of what a pit stop is like for formula one it's it's a ballet it's coordination between a whole bunch of different people i think there's maybe 20 people in this picture um i think a pit crew is allowed to have 18 during an actual formula one like race pit stop so you'd probably lose two of these guys kind of uh, or girls you know somewhere along the way if it was an actual
0: race pit stop Wow. So, okay. There's so much going through my head. First of all, this was handheld. Yeah. Totally blows my mind. Not what I pictured. I thought you were going to tell me, oh, well, before this happened, there's some rigging up above. And because of my my credentials, I was able to actually rig something up and that this was some remote camera that you mounted on a truss in some way. No, it's handheld. Wow. Okay. All right. So that brings in a whole bunch of other things then. First of all, one-fifteenth of a second, handheld, leaning over the edge from three stories up, and you got the perfect blur. I mean, really, honestly, you could not have gotten a better blur on this car. That angled pole coming in at 45 degrees from the right lower third to mid-frame, being positioned, you could have leaned in wrong. Wrong's the wrong, wrong word, but to where... That wasn't dead center, so the end of that angled pole is dead center even with the arrow, which means it's going to be even with the center of the car. So many things could have gone wrong on capturing the energy and motion of this. So at a a 15th of a second, the fact that this crew is not moving is surprising to me. They stand that still. Yeah, they're
1: very, they're very still they can't. So with Formula One, and it's one of the things that I love about motorsport is because every single racing series does pit stops differently. And no series does it better than another one. Like they're just different. Formula One is different to NASCAR. You can't compare a NASCAR pit stop to a Formula One pit stop. Um, So in Formula One, you have the crew and each, each tire on the four tires on the car, each tire has a different set of guys to deal with a different part of the actual changing of the tire so as the car is coming in they can't move like if they if they even move an inch basically if you if i did this as a video you can see the guy that's kind of uh, right below the arrow right he has a wheel gun that's aimed basically at the car what they'll do is they'll follow the car in as the as the basically the car comes at them they'll follow it like panning essentially he's going to basically pan the wheel gun or the wheel itself as the car comes at him but he's not to that point yet he might be just fractionally before that um so they'll all just stand completely totally motionless and the car will come to them uh and then they'll all go into action so there's been some great images that are very different to this and you know people have done similar similar images to what this one is as well but there'll they'll be different images where in the middle of a pit stop, it's just all motion where the car is stationary and the people right. around it are jumping here and there and everywhere. Um, and it's just kind of, that's the beauty of motorsport photography is that if you handed 20 of us a camera and told us to go photograph a pit stop, we're all 20 of us gonna do something very different with our pit stop. So, you know, using the different settings that we have or the different lenses, you know, different angles. Somebody might shoot it from ground level, which I've done more than a few times. Um, And then some of us might go above and, you know, pick a different frame out of the sequence.
0: So a couple of things. First of all, did you burst this? What was the question? Did Did you shoot a burst of this?
1: Yeah, this is a burst. I don't remember how much the D3S did, but it was probably like 10, maybe 11
0: because this the, the, the fact that that is but not the car is not touching the arrow matters greatly. The fact that the car is just entering the frame completely matters greatly. The F22 is interesting to me. <clears throat> was that simply because you wanted the low shutter and it was bright outside and you had to darken it or were you doing F22 for a for a you know a, a, a structure of the image? Reason no, or was it purely exposure at fifteenth. It's purely
1: exposure at fifteenth I, I do use ND filters, but I wasn't going up to this location planning to do this shot. And that's kind of how most of my work is. Like I do have an idea in my head of a picture that I want, but it's not necessarily that well thought out. Like um, oh, better bring my ND 16 um, because I, I want to do an overhead shot. Like it's not that well thought out to i kind of just went up on the roof and i was like i'm gonna spend 30 minutes on the roof and see if i get anything interesting out of it um my god so it's it's you know i i probably did a couple different pit stops a couple different ways i mean this wouldn't be the only team doing pit stop practice but if you take the color out of it so if you had the mercedes crude in you know silver which is more or less what they're normally wearing it's a completely different image like it you almost want to make it black and white because it wouldn't have any color to it. Um, so just the pit crew being very bright, like orangey red type thing is I just happened to be taking this particular picture of this particular pit crew. And I was like, well, I'll see what I get at a slow shutter speed and just do the best I can with it and try and do something different as
0: best I can try. The, the, the color is a huge part of this image. You know, you were in spot metering though. So, was there a reason what were you metering on for this, for your spot metering and what were you focusing on? Or was it just a center focus point and let's hope it lands on something?
1: I honestly couldn't tell you the reason for the spot metering. I do usually I don't well, that I, that's not entirely true. I do use spot metering because being outside and especially with cars and you know the variation in exposure can change dramatically with a a picture like especially depending on where i am um if you're on pit lane for example one minute like i'll be working under a tent backlit where the it's just bright but i want to make sure that i'm getting the right exposure settings on you know my driver that i'm taking pictures of him getting in his fire suit and helmet but behind him is you know bright sunshine of florida or whatever it is so zone doesn't really work that well in my experience where the camera is like you idiot, like you don't, you're not even in the right, you're, you're not even the right ballpark for exposure here. Like, and if you're in any kind of priority setting, like shutter or aperture, it's going to screw you. So I'm, al- I am almost always in spot metering, because I'd rather see what exactly where my focus point that I'm aiming at is what the exposure is there. But I also do, you know, I, I have never shot film professionally. Um, my the beginning of my career, I never really had that opportunity to shoot film professionally. I have shot film, but I've never shot film professionally. So I've always been able to not rely or lean on the fact that I can actually physically look at the back of the camera to see if i have absolutely massively screwed up the exposure, but I can rely on that because it's a digital camera. Like if you're not doing it, you should be doing it. Um, The technology is there to uh, assist you and aid you not make your world harder. So. For me, I'm I'm just kind of always looking at the back of my camera, especially if I'm changing locations. Once I'm in a location and I'm not moving, I don't need to look at the back of that of my camera very often. But when I go to a, a new location, I want to make sure that this the the exposure isn't like gonna be completely off the charts or it's something that I what I want it to be in my head. And I know that I don't need to edit, like there's almost no editing done to this image. Like if I showed you the raw image, you would say, like, yeah, like the raw images may be a little bit flatter because there's no contrast bomb. But other than that, I haven't changed a single thing about the image. Um, and that's kind of how, going back to the newspaper world, the motorsport photography and photojournalism side, we can't change the, you can't manipulate the, the picture to Pixels. the point where it's no longer that picture. So right. everything I'm doing is more or less being done in camera. I'm not going to add motion blur. I'm not going to... Move somebody, or add the arrow, or you know, change the the hue of their of their you know fireproof overalls. Like it's just not worth it to me, and and it
0: just wouldn't be ethical, I guess, in my own head. You know, oh man, there's just so much I want to go into on this thing. The compositionally, I, I talked about. I thought that the fact that this thing compositionally was so strong, the poles. Watch for those of you watching on video. Right, poles are almost exactly at a rule of third. Lane lines, almost exactly at a rule of thirds. The pointer, I'm going to call it, which is this angled pole coming in, takes you right to you know dead center on almost everything. There's so much going on in this chart and shot, and then the arrow, totally sharp here. It draws your eye from the car towards the Jackman. Here's the other thing that was interesting about this shot to me. If you're going to talk about composition rules, not that they're rules, they're, you know, a study. Of, yeah, they're, they're a study of history and what we know the human eye uses to, to take itself, to take somebody's brain through an image. You have the rule of odds. You've got three lanes. You've got three poles. You've got 21 people actually out there because I counted them, right? So. As you're leaning over, I'm assuming you were using live view or were you leaning over and looking through a viewfinder? That, I guess, is question number one. By the way, I should mention when you were talking about chimping the back of the screen, I'm I'm getting to a point now where I even, while the camera's up to my face, I hit the play button and review my shots through the electronic viewfinder. Um, very quickly just to not to see if it's a great shot just am I in the right ballpark on exposure anyway back to what I was saying how much of this wonderful composition was happening in your head as you were shooting it how much of it was intentional versus you looked at it when it came up on the computer and went whoa um
1: so the second question I'll answer first first so it's not that i had it like planned in my head but i guess the only way to describe it is that i've always kind of seen my world in in those kind of like negative space rule of thirds like i've always been that photographer and i've worked for magazines um i'm a staff photographer for a magazine here in charlotte and You know, I've always been very aware of negative space and because of negative space, aware of the rule of thirds. So from a very, very early time in my career, like and most of my study of photography, I have no formal education in it. Most of my study has been just from looking at others' work, like the people that I respect. And the people that I respect have always just been great magazine photographers because I feel like the magazine photographers aren't, they're not Instagram photographers. They're not, you know, they're not going to like take an image and crop it to, you know, 500% to make their image out of it. Like they're going to get it the way they want it in the camera. Um, so studying, studying the people that I really respect in the motorsport world, but not just in the motorsport world, other, you know, niches and genres as well. Um, you know, rule of thirds and the, and the leading lines and, Composition is just so important. And I've, it's not that I was intentionally seeking this out, but it's just how I kind of see things is the only way to really describe it. Um, When I, when I walked up to this spot, and again, this is 10 years ago and a very much younger me, you know, I kind of poked my head over the top and I probably, you know, saw a bunch of pit crew guys getting ready. I'm like, well, this is going to be a nice shot, but how can I make it different? in that I wanted I don't want to just take a one two thousandth or one four thousandth shutter speed at F4. Um, because that's, that's easy. And it's not that it's easy, but it's not as interesting. And I wanted to just do something interesting. And at this point in my career, I'm also trying to make a name for myself too. So I'm not just making a name for myself, like in this moment, but like overall as a, guy that wants to be a professional motorsport photographer, and I wasn't even a professional motorsport photographer at this time. I was still an alarm salesman that had a part-time, you know, job as a photographer. So when I had this opportunity to cover an F1 rate or an F1 test, um, I'm trying to do something different than what everybody else is going to do, because if you do what everybody else is going to do, then you're not going to come home with anything original or interesting. Uh, so it was really probably just a bunch of different things going on in my head that I was trying to swing for the fences and hit a home run. Um, and you get everybody, even a blind squirrel can find a nut and it's just, yeah, it's, it's one of the images that I am proud of. Um, I love to be able to do it again in a modern setting with a modern car and a modern camera. I wasn't using live view. It was, it was, you know, take, take the exposure, making sure that everything is like as it I want it to be and then just leaving the rest of it alone like I use back button focus so I'm not I know that the the focus isn't going to change and especially at f22 you know my my depth of field is going to be pretty massive um so you know I wasn't as worried about the the actual focus point knowing that if I pointed at the ground I know everything like above the ground and below the ground is going to be sharp but there I don't even know that the D3S had a live view uh, option, to be honest. I don't remember. Well,
0: I, and I was going to ask you about the back button focus. Cause I was curious. I, 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 in my head, you were probably a back button focus person. You know, you yeah. mentioned, um, you know, the, the post on this image was not very, very much other than contrast. Is that basically all, I mean, generally with photojournalism, you're limited to, you know, you can correct exposure, dodging and burning and cropping. Is that all you pretty much would have done in in? And what do you use by the way? Like a Lightroom?
1: Yeah, I use Lightroom, and it's all I've ever done. I mean, it, I tell people this all the time, and I'm I'm a pretty regular user on TikTok. Um, and the TikTok kids always try and come at me about various things that I don't. They think they know more than I do, but I just they're like, oh, why don't you just Photoshop the blur in and post? It's like, dude, because I don't have time to do that for my clients. Like it is so exhausting to cover some of these races. Like an F1 race is easy. A 12 hour race or a 24 hour race is not easy. And you're doing, you know, you're awake for 40 hours. And the last thing that I wanna be doing is blurring or adding blur in Photoshop to a mediocre image for my client to put on Instagram and spend even an hour or twenty minutes on an image is twenty image twenty minutes too much. Like I'm if I can't edit an image in three to five seconds, like maybe, maybe ten seconds at most, I'm not gonna use it because I'm delivering you know, if I have six clients and each of those six clients is getting fifty images a day, you can do the math. If you spend one minute on on those images, you're going to be spending a fair amount of time at the end of a very long race day just doing post for your clients to not use it or uh, put it on Instagram for, you know, 25 people to see. It's it's really frustrating. So I just try and keep it as simple as possible. Absolutely go with the the photojournalism ethics mentality. Like there's not even really I don't even really do very much dodging and burning it's not that I don't, but it's just, it's not very, it's not something I spend a lot of time doing. It's mainly a little bit of exposure, a little bit of contrast, um, you know, send it crop, crop a little bit and send it.
0: Well, and I would say to those people that say, why don't you just do it in post is why, why wouldn't you just do it in camera? If you can, why set yourself up for layers and, and processing? Do you, I'm assuming you're also a photo mechanic user or not?
1: Yeah, very much I've been photomechanic goes back to the very early days of my photojournalism career at newspapers as an intern. Like you, everybody at the at the newspaper used photo mechanic because it's the easiest way to go through high volumes of images. And yep. I've used it every day since for everything. From when I've shot weddings to pictures of my kids to the races that I cover. You know, every week it's all photo mechanic because it just makes it so easy to look through images quickly. And then and then I export it out into Lightroom, do a quick edit and then send it to where it needs to go.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So let's switch gears. We're going to do a speed round for these questions. Just answer them with whatever comes to your head first. Number one, your top sports photography, not not motor sports, general sports photography tip. Hmm.
1: Um, I think I kind of already said it, but put your camera down and use your eyes, look around, you'll see something that you didn't see looking down the viewfinder.
0: Top motor sports photography tip.
1: Uh, don't be afraid to use really slow shutter speeds. Like I'm, t- I'm not talking about an 80th of a second or 60th of a second or 40th of a second, go crazy. Like any, anybody can hit a one, 200th pan Anybody can hit a one 100th pan. You'll start seeing some really, really interesting stuff down below a 30th, a 20th, a 10th, a quarter second. You'll see some you'll see some really amazing things.
0: Biggest photo mistake you made or almost made. Hmm. Um. I don't know
1: Uh, the biggest mistake I made is probably early in my career, not not taking enough pictures, not not trusting my own instincts, not trusting my own talent and intuition of a situation. And you know, something I tell myself now all the time: like if you see something that I'm, I feel like something is there, like work it. Don't just give up on it and go on to the next thing. Work it. Try and find something out of it because. More often than not, I've found myself going back at the end of the day and looking at a sequence and being like, ah, this was really nice. I should have worked it.
0: Okay. Favorite composition rule if you have one.
1: Definitely the rule of thirds.
0: Favorite source of inspiration.
1: Hmm. Um so I'll I'll give you two. So and I'll and they'll be photographers. So my biggest business and Non motorsport inspiration would be Chris Burkard, a uh, very famous landscape and surfing photographer. But I think his his business sense and his ability, his studio stuff um, that his he's created a brand. He's done kids books, and you know it's been very impressive and something that I admire and not not aspire to. But in some ways, I think that there's more to being a, a photographer than just taking pictures. I think we can tell stories and share our gift with others uh, in a variety of different ways. And then um, a photographer that I really respect in the motorsport world would probably be uh, my very good friend, James Moy. He's just so talented and so talented at so many different things. Like as a motorsport photographer, you have to be good, not just at doing the 20th of a second pans, but also the really boring you know, product photography and candids and studio stuff. It's not just like, oh, I want to go take pictures of F1 cars for a living. It's like, yeah, don't we all? Because that ain't it. That's not, what, that's not what happens. You don't just get to go take pictures of F1 cars for a living or any race car for a living. There's a lot more stuff that comes with it. So James is just one of those people that I've always looked up to in his ability to create something
0: out of nothing. Okay. And for those of you that are used to I end with a question on are there any photographers people should follow? That's going to be that question. So I will have links to both of those people in the show notes. Make sure you check them out. Next one. Favorite band or performer?
1: Uh I've always been a Collective Soul fan. Um oh. I also grew up uh listening to Jimmy Buffett. My dad was a big parrot head, so you know, whenever I hear Jimmy Buffett songs, I kind of go back to a, a fun place in my memory and just summertime vibes. Um, yeah, Bon Jovi, Collective
0: Soul. Okay. Favorite movie or TV show? Hmm. The
1: uh, HBO miniseries Chernobyl was excellent and I scary. I can
0: see that still. I have not done it's, that one yet. It's crazy. It's so good. Favorite drink? Gin and tonic. Okay. I have to go deeper then. A specific gin or any gin?
1: Um I'm not a fan of Hendrix. Uh I like Bombay. I'm not I'm not too too picky, but I'm not a big Hendrix
0: fan. I I, I like Hendrix. Uh I love Bombay Sapphire, and we've just started uh for the first time trying Nolettes, and it's fantastic. Mm. So if anybody's looking for a good one, Nolettes. Uh again. Jamie, to say thank you is an understatement. If people want to find you, where can they go?
1: All of my social medias are all the same. Uh, it's all Jamie Price photo, at Jamie Price photo. You just have to be able to spell my name. My, my dad blessed and cursed me with a original name spelling. That's not the normal uh, J-A-M-I-E. It's J-A-M-E-Y.
0: And so it's it's Jamie Price photo pretty much anywhere that you go and then the website is jamiepricephoto.com, right? That's it. Perfect. I will have those links in the show notes at behindtheshot.tv or in the uh, description on YouTube if you're watching on YouTube. Jamie, thank you very very much for doing this, man. I appreciate. It. I love your work, dude.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been fun. Great questions.
0: Uh thank you very much. And make sure you check out his work. Follow him everywhere. All the links are in the show notes again, behindtheshot.tv. Uh, you can follow the podcast and find out everything that's happening on social media as well. It's at behindtheshot.tv. Or if you want to follow me, it's at Steve Brazzle everywhere. This lower third doesn't say Mastodon yet. I keep forgetting to do that. But it's basically Twitter, Instagram, or Mastodon. I'm on Facebook too. I just, I don't ever use it. And of course, you know, on YouTube, it's Behind the Shot TV on YouTube or just Behind the Shot on YouTube. And whatever you do, if you like what we're doing, please hit like, hit subscribe, leave a comment if you want to, whatever you want to do. I appreciate all the help and all the support. Thank you very much for watching. Make sure you join us next time as we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look Behind the Shot.